Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies Gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA. I appreciate you joining us for today's program. We're going to talk to Bill your analyst at Bartsart here in just a moment. Before segment two, we're going to check in with John Varanek of DTN Weather with a look at the skies in the week ahead as that focus turns to planting across the Corn Belt. In segment three, we're going to get an update from the University of Missouri's Food, Agri- Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute looking at the base projections for farm income. Here as we get out into 2023. Before we dive into all of that, however, we're going to speak first with Mr. Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart. And Darren, I want to turn our focus this morning to last week's cattle market. We saw things kind of take a pop there towards the end of the week. What is the situation across the live cattle complex? It's it's interesting, Mike, and you're absolutely right. I mean, this market just continues to skyrocket. Uh, the last two weeks, which, what's really fascinating is if we've watched the, you know, the interplay between cash and futures over the last year, it got to a situation that was so unusual where futures were leading cash. And that just isn't normally the situation. The last couple of weeks, we've seen it revert back to its, it, to what it normally does. We've seen the cash lead futures. At the beginning of the week, you know, futures markets were a little weak, a little bit quiet, waiting to see what develops. And then as the week progresses and the cash numbers start coming in, you know, they start building this momentum. And then late Thursday or Friday, whatever, you know, whatever the end of the week turns out to be, then all of a sudden we see this big explosion in the cash market. Last week, uh, there was some in the south, there was one some some 170 before some 172 was quoted. In the north, there was 173, 175, then 177 and 178. So I mean, that this market is just exploding from a from an economic read. You know, if we look at that and we look that the choice box beef market continues to go up, I know a lot of folks want to talk about tight supplies. I don't think we're in a tight supply situation right now. I still don't think I think this is on the demand side. I think we have incredible demand right now. And this is a bullish economic indicator, uh, particularly as we're going into the you know going into spring and summer grilling season that we've got this push for demand. And it's not just the lower price cuts of meat on the select side. It's the high price cuts of meat on the choice side. And it's just, it's incredible to watch. And we'll see if it develops again this week as well. Well, Darren, that 177 trade on Thursday heading into Friday, those Packers were preparing to shut down for the three-day weekend. Pretty incredible to see. And as you say, it puts that cash well in advance of futures once again. It's a big shift in the industry. April's heading into delivery. We've got the June at 162. What happens now that the cash is so much stronger than the board? Theoretically, theoretically, and this is all it is, futures are going to need to come up to meet cash or cash is going to get a little top heavy up here at some point. But again, given the time of year, given everything else that we're seeing, uh, you know, as far as demand goes, I don't see a sudden collapse coming in the cash market. So if that's the case, you know, again, April's going to go off the board. June should make a move to start coming up and meeting cash. Maybe they meet in the middle because they're about 10, you know, they're a good $15 off right now, it looks like. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. But right now, that would be the play. Darren, I'm going to ask you a market structure question. It, mm-hmm. As we flip into this, this environment where the cash again is leading futures, we don't see cash trade typically start to develop until we get towards the end of the trading week, Thursdays and mm-hmm. Fridays. Do we see action in the futures market slow down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday now as we start to watch for cash trade information? It it has seemed that way. We get a pretty quiet beginning to the week. Um, but that being said, I mean, if we look at the CFT, the latest CFTC commitments trade report, which actually did come out, I believe, last Friday, uh, and this was through last Tuesday, you know, we saw that for that week, uh, from Tuesday to Tuesday, non-commercial traders added almost twenty-one thousand five hundred contracts to their net long position. So. You know, we're seeing a quiet beginning of the week. So if that's the case, 
you know, and, and this goes through Tuesday, then Monday and Tuesday, there probably wasn't a lot of activity. Most of that was probably the previous Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it is normally a quiet opening to the week, not a lot of activity. Everyone's kind of feeling each other out. And then as reports of the cash start to build, we see the non-commercials getting into the market as well. And the moves in the futures market start to spike and start to extend as well. Darren, $1.80 cash cattle. That could be in the cards for this week, couldn't it? You know, if I think about it, I'm, I, I have not been bullish cattle fundamentals for a long time. But and I've had the question posed to me, how high could it go? I have no idea. 180, 190. It's up until the point where packers just say we're not going to buy it anymore. And, you know, so what's coming out the back end of the plant? You know, so as long as boxed beef remains strong, as long as there's good demand. And again, this time of year, one would think that's going to stay pretty consistent. Uh, you know, yeah. Could we get to 180? Sure. Why not? Could we go beyond? Certainly looks like it. So. You know, until something indicates, you know, it all comes down to trend, price direction over time. Until we see some sort of change of trend, just about anything anyone wants to imagine right now is possible until we see somebody change their mind. All right, cattle producers, the trend is your friend for the time being. Darren, you mentioned we're back up to speed here from the CFTC on mm -hmm. their commitment of traders data. We've seen a lot of managed money shuffling its positions around in the grain markets. This latest TF CFTC report, did we learn anything new on the grains? The one that really jumped out to me, there was a couple that really jumped out to me, but the one that really had a spotlight on it was the corn position, where we see a net long futures gain. And this is, again, just legacy futures only. It's really the only one that matters. And we saw a futures gain of, uh, of net long futures increase of 14,000, almost 14,200 contracts. And so the immediate thing is, oh, look at the buying coming into the corn market. No, that's not the case. It was short covering. And it's, that's not as bullish as new buying. What we saw was 21,000 contracts of shorts covered and another 6,900 contracts of longs liquidated. So the net was, yeah, okay, a gain of 14,000, almost 200 contracts. But the bottom line is it's just short covering. It's not new buying. It's not, you know, everyone thinking this market's going to go up. The flip side of that was what we did see in soybeans with a net increase of 23,300 contracts where 17,000, 18,000 contracts came as new, new long futures. So it's how we read these things, you know, that tells us what's going on in here and how, how bullish or bearish they might actually be. That is the truth. Darren, as we get ready for this week ahead, the golden roll is happening. As you talk about how this impacts buyers and sellers in the futures, what should we be watching as growers? Yeah, you know, it's 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 an interesting point. It's an interesting time because, you know, in some of these markets, like in wheat, particularly winter wheat, we're, we're seeing, you know, if they're going to roll, they're going to be rolling from old crop to new crop, May to July. And what we normally see, if they're long futures, if, if Goldman's long or other funds are long futures, they're going to be selling the May and buying back into the July. And that tends to skew spreads for about a week. But in the case of corn, where we've seen such heavy liquidation, are they just going to come in and start buying July? And how do the commercial, how, how does the commercial side react to this? You know, if they're needing to roll some spreads as well. So this is one of those cases where since we've seen so much liquidation going on beforehand, we could get a different read from, you know, if Goldman Roll plays a big role this time. Keep an eye on those markets, folks. Keep an eye on that cattle market as this week goes on. We've been talking with Darren Newsom, senior analyst there at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll talk weather with John Baranek of DTN here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind to look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially, that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy. Think biomass. Think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the Market Development Action Team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the Monthly Grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's time to turn our focus to the weather with this time of year for growers across the country, it takes on an added focus as that itch to get into the field is pronounced. Joining us for the update is John Baranek of DTN Weather. And John, over the weekend, it looked like I saw a couple of storms pushing their way into the southern plains, into that deep, dark drought bullseye. Was I right? Did I see some rain? Did they get a couple drops? Was it enough to make a difference? Yeah, your eyes were not deceiving you, Mike. They did have some showers down there. Now they were very spotty and isolated. Uh, but, you know, it, uh, across West Texas and all the way up into eastern Nebraska, kind of along the string, there, we had a little disturbance kind of moving through. We still do. And uh, we saw some showers there over uh, over the weekend. Really, Sunday was, was it. So it kind of ruined a couple of people's Easter plans, I'm sure. But you know, for those folks there, you know, any rain at all would be beneficial. Um, you know, a couple of areas saw close to an inch out of it. Um, but again, those were very, very, very isolated areas. Uh, So the drought isn't really going away anytime soon yet. All right, John, that wasn't an indication of a pattern shift for more moisture coming to those folks in that bullseye, was it? Not really. I mean, we will, we we are kind of trending towards an area where uh, some of those Western uh, plains areas, the kind of areas that around the high plains um, start to see showers kind of developing in the afternoons due to uh, a, a dry line out there. And for those people that aren't familiar with it. Uh, the, the people out there definitely are where we see some um, sh- a shift in the winds kind of forming east of the Rockies. And uh, every so often it'll produce some uh, showers and thunderstorms kind of getting into a pattern where that tends to be the case, but those usually are very isolated. Um, but we may see a couple of those here uh, later this week too. All right, John. Well, let's turn our focus to this week. As I've been looking at the forecast for the week ahead for much of the country, it appears like we are on a trend to warm up. And I'm wondering, for our friends in the Northern Plains, the Dakotas, Western Minnesota, are blizzards done for the year, John? Can they put that behind them for the remainder of this spring? 
no, <laughs> unfortunately not. Uh, we're still in April. We still got, you know, potential for that sort of thing to happen. This week is going to be absolutely gorgeous though. Um, temperatures here. I mean, I live up near Minneapolis. We hit our first 60 over the weekend. Looks like we're going to hit our first 70 and 80 here over the next couple of days too. Um, so we're going to get a, and that's not just here in Minnesota. That's really countrywide. We're going to be under the influence of a nice broad ridge, get some very warm temperatures um, for the snowpack up there in the Northern Plains, Northern Minnesota, into the Canadian prairies. It is going to lead to some melting. Now temperatures are going to be cooler than we're not going to see eighties over the, all that snow. Um, it'll tend to hold it down into the fifties and sixties, but um, you know, that's still some pretty good temperatures. We'll see lots of sunshine helping to melt that out. And even overnight temperatures don't dip too far below freezing here for the next few days. So we're going to see some good melting out of that. Um, and it's about four to six inches of liquid just sitting there waiting to get released. So, um, you know, this is going to start the process of, of melting, which will expose the ground, which is what we need to have happen um, to make sure planting isn't delayed too far, but that will lead to some flooding. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, banners out there from the National Weather Service talking about ice jams and, and just overland flooding, potholes getting filled up, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, unfortunately, that's going to have to be the process going forward here. It is, John, you mentioned this week's going to be beautiful with that warm up, with the melt threat across the northern Dakotas up through the Red River Valley of the north. Is there the potential for moisture to fall from the sky this week in that area? Is there any uh, thunderstorm threat? Yeah, there is. Um, not thunderstorms per se, but we are going to get a system moving in uh, later this week. So not while the nice warm weather is is, is going to be around here for the plains here, um, for, for a lot of this week, we are going to see a, a trough move back into the west, and that'll send a system through the country here late this week and weekend. And um, unfortunately, that uh, does come with just cold enough temperatures to uh, potentially put down a stripe of snow. Models are all over the board with when, where, how much. Uh, but anywhere across the Dakotas and Minnesota into, into Wisconsin are at least have a threat of some snow falling here this weekend. Um, not exactly certain on if it will add to the snowpack or if it'll just be a pause in the melting process up there. Um, but, uh, th there will be some potential for that. Um, but as, as that system kind of moves across, uh, the rest of the country here, we'll see some wetter conditions then get into the rest of the Midwest, back down into the Delta region. Um, even a, a little disturbance out ahead of this system could bring some showers to the Southeast. So, well, we're, we're going to have a nice several days here of warm and dry weather. It's it's still spring and the conditions change rather rapidly, so it doesn't last forever. That's that's true. This time of year, of course, springtime is a bit finicky, John. As you as you think about that snowpack there across the, the northern plains in particular, how far west does that spread? Is it snowpack all the way from the Red River Valley on the North Dakota-Minnesota border to the Rockies? Uh, not all the way back there. Um they didn't get quite the snowpack there, kind of on the the uh, leeward side of of the uh, of the of the Rockies. So most of of western Montana, the western prairies, um, are snow free. There are still some batches there of snow in kind of northern Montana, but it really doesn't really start until you get kind of halfway through um, western North Dakota um, and kind of Saskatchewan. Uh, until you finally hit the snowpack and it gets as far south as kind of south central uh, South Dakota through central Minnesota and northern Wisconsin. Um, but it's a it's a big area for this time of year. Usually the snowfall um, is all but melted uh, by this time of year. So having kind of a large area that's covered in such deep snow is, is pretty unusual. It is, John, especially as you mentioned, this time of year, we've got farmers antsy to get into the fields. We're seeing planting progress start to accelerate as those growers down south make some moves into the field, exempting the snow covered areas. Let's talk about from the Iowa, Minnesota line and south over the next couple of weeks. How does that warm up look for planting? Do you expect to be relatively close to average? Uh, honestly, it's going to be interesting because um, we're going to see a lot of waffling back and forth. So you know, if you're looking at two inch soil temperatures, we're going to see some kind of dips over the next couple of weeks, I think. So we're going to be real warm here the next few days. Uh, behind that system, we actually get pretty chilly. Uh, we get temperatures back, you know, kind of below normal for a few days. Um, and models are kind of up and down on what they want to do with uh, the temperature pattern uh, next week through the, through the rest of April and into May as well. So um, you know, you look at it one time and it looks like, oh, we're, we're headed through some, some nice warm conditions. Everything should be on the up and up. 
The next, you, you see some colder threats kind of moving through. And so I think that just really points to the variability that's going to be kind of around here for the rest of this month and going into May. Um, so I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing uh, everywhere. But at least, you know, we, we've gotten kind of rid of all that Arctic nonsense uh, that we've had for, for a while here. Um, so even the, the colder temperatures that move through aren't, you know, too terribly cold and shouldn't put too much of a pause um, in the overall warm up that's going on here over the next several weeks. So um, I'd say, you know, if, if you finally hit, you know, your magic uh, number in terms of soil temperature and you're thinking about uh, planting here, you might want to wait. Uh, just a little bit, just to make sure that we stay above that. I don't want you to have issues out there with some cold soils for an extended period of time. But uh, overall, um, I, I, you know, we're trending in the right direction. All right. We're trending in the right direction to get that crop in the ground. John, let's turn our focus to South America before we let you go. Is there working to get that crop? Well, the soybean crop pretty well removed. That corn crop, safrina corn growing in the fields. Dry season is coming. John, what's the outlook for the Brazilians? Yep, the uh, soybeans are just about done. I just kind of just saw a report this morning where they're they're almost finished down there. So everything's really focused on that safrina corn crop. Um, showers had been uh, very isolated there the end of March and into early April. They just saw a system move through over the weekend that brought some decent showers through, and they kind of needed it. It was starting to get a little dry in spots. Um, and you know those wet season showers, like you mentioned, they're going to be they're basically done in the next couple of weeks. So. They're going to be more reliant on these systems moving through uh, every so often to kind of maintain that soil moisture. And if they don't get these systems, um, then that crop can go down in a hurry when temperatures are regularly in the upper 80s and lower 90s. So um, like I mentioned, they got a, a, a good system over the weekend. Uh, it looks like they'll get another one late this weekend weekend. Um, and models are pointing to one next weekend as well. So uh, it looks like at least that they're on a, a, a better path than what it looked like a couple of weeks ago. Um, but still, I mean, a lot of this crop was planted late, so they're going to need these systems to move through at a regular place deep into May, um, to kind of maintain that, you know, better outlook. I know there's been a lot of, uh, forecasts out there for a pretty big corn crop out of, uh, Brazil, but they are going to be dependent on that rain. So we're just gonna have to keep our eyes on the skies for that. Indeed. So the big corn crop still a possibility based on the acres that went in the ground. But as John has mentioned many times, the weather down there this time of year could set the stage for how that ends up developing. Folks, we've been talking with John Baranek here. He's a meteorologist over at DTN Weather, joins us each week. And John, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for being with us today. And thanks for having me. Enjoy the warm weather for a while. Yes, indeed, folks. Take advantage if you got it and stay here. We'll be talking to Dr. Pat Westoff at the University of Missouri when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Fairly quiet start to the market trade as we come back from the three-day holiday weekend. We see corn, beans, and wheat all trading mixed a couple of cents either side of unchanged in quiet action. We're going to focus on a couple of different things here as we begin the week, one of which is going to be the dramatic Midwest warm-up that starts here today with active field work expected across a bulk of the Midwest. The exception going to be the snowpack areas of the northwestern ag belt where flooding is going to be increasing there across the Dakotas and northwest Minnesota. Some forecasts show an improved longer-range outlook for spring planting, while others call for returning freeze and rain risks. We're in the time of year when U.S. weather really takes on a greater importance for grain and oilseed traders. USDA is going to update its monthly WASDE crop report on Tuesday as well. they got to incorporate the quarterly stocks numbers from the end of March into that report. Overall, though, this April report is typically very quiet, and it's not expected to be any different this time around, although we will likely see more cuts to Argentine corn and soybean crops while Brazil's crops could get bigger in this report. Overall, though, not expecting much, and traders are just kind of tiptoeing with caution here as we start off the new week as they assess the weekend news headlines. Livestock trade, a little bit of pressure in the feeder cattle market with uh, triple-digit losses there. That's weighing on the live cattle trade to start the week, while hogs are a bit more mixed as the April contract continues to move along with the cash index as hog market's really been beat up here as of late. Stocks are fairly quiet here as we get going with the week with the Dow Jones uh, just right around the unchanged mark and crude oil also right around unchanged sitting just above $80 a barrel. Overall, fairly quiet trade. Corn, beans, and wheat again trading one to two cents for the most part either side of unchanged. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here today for AOA. Over the past few years, it's no surprise that the main theme in the commodity market has been volatility. That has certainly impacted profit margins, and it's impacted bottom lines throughout the ag industry. As 2023 gets started, the folks at the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri took a breath, and they've recently released their 10-year baseline projections for the U.S. ag markets. After several years of volatility, what potentially could the next 10 years look like? Well, joining us now to run down those details is Dr. Pat Westhoff. He serves as the Howard Cowden Professor of Ag Economics at the University of Missouri, and he serves as the director of FAPRI there at Mizzou. Dr. Westhoff, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity today, Mike. It seems to me the big question after a couple years of record or near record prices in row crop agriculture, Dr. Westhoff, it sounds like the the downturn is coming. Is that an accurate way to express the, the results of the outlook? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, more often than not, as we know, when things go up, they tend to come back down. And that's probably the direction we're heading in the months to come. I think it certainly seems as though that is accurate. Let's talk through some of these details here of the Ag Outlook. Dr. Westhoff, when your team is putting this together, what all do you folks look at? How do you come up with all of this data mapping 10 years of potential profitability in agriculture? So we try to look at uh, where markets are at the given time. We do the work and we started this work back in January. Uh, we have it reviewed by some folks on the outside to give us some comments, let us know where we're off base. And then, of course, we use our judgment and our models to try to come up with these projections for the next 10 years. 
All right. And let's dive into those projections. I know specifically on the report, you were involved in both the crop and the biofuel and the government costs uh, reports. So let's dive into biofuels right off the bat. Dr. Westoff, if we can, we saw 2022 be a tremendous year of consumption for E15. A lot of new consumers were introduced to the product. Does that bode well for biofuels looking out over the next 10 years? Yeah, there's definitely the potential to see an increase in E15 use across time. We we expect, in fact, um, that E15 and their higher level blends will be a, a greater share of the overall use of ethanol over the next decade than they've been. Of course, the offsetting effect is that we probably have fewer miles driven longer term uh, with uh, gasoline power vehicles if we have more EVs on the road eventually. And that's true. And do you think that will have an impact in this 10-year time frame? Or is the EV rollout going to going to impact ethanol demand in that window? It probably doesn't have a huge impact, especially after the next several years. Uh, but once you get five to 10 years down the road, it starts to become at least a small factor in the market. Okay. All right. So when we're thinking biofuels, of course, Dr. Westhoff, we've got a couple of different branches of that biofuel tree. We've got the corn-based ethanol. We've got the soy-based biodiesel. And of course, we've got renewable biodiesel, including soy and other topics. Of those different components, which has the brightest outlook for the 10-year uh, report? Well, we've definitely seen a huge expansion in capacity of renewable diesel, a lot more planned uh, to come on board in the not too distant future. We actually expect that the production of renewable diesel will surpass out of conventional biodiesel uh, within a year or two's time here, if it hasn't already uh, in 2023. Uh, one of the big question marks, of course, is where we go on the policy front. Will the renewable fuel standard, will the California policies continue to be consistent with that expansion of that industry? And Dr. Westhoff, as you think about the expansion of renewable diesel, because it does include tallows and other non-soybean-based uh, uh, components of that renewable biodiesel, do you still anticipate the impact of that industry being mostly on the soy side over the next 10 years? We actually have, um, I think it's more than half, in fact, of the overall uh, increase that we expect in front of us to come from feedstocks other than soybean oil. So soybean oil is, yes, a very, very important part of the mix. But yes, the tallows, the uh, other vegetable oils, for that matter, are a noticeable share as well. Okay, so we could expect to see that continue to climb on the corn ethanol front, Dr. Westoff. That's the side you think E15 has some more potential for growth. Is that long term? It definitely has potential. Again, this is where policies will be very critical. If, if we have policies that, that uh, uh, both require uh, increased use of biofuels overall and then make it easier for people to use biofuels uh, like, like E15 year-round, that'll make a big difference, of course, as well. That certainly makes sense. The policy issue is going to be a huge one over these next 10 years. But I'd like to bring the focus uh, away from biofuels back to row crop agriculture. We have seen an incredible jump in commodity prices in the futures markets and in the cash trade. Dr. Westhoff, the concern, of course, in the markets is reversion to the mean. The idea that we're going to move away from these record highs and drop back down to a level over the next couple of years. What's your anticipation for corn price at the farm? Yeah, we're looking at a projected price for the crop we harvest this fall, about 532 a bushel for corn. So that's down from over 660 a bushel for the crop we, we harvested in 2022. Uh, yes, reversion of the mean is a good way of summarizing the story. When we had uh, a, a below normal yields in this country, we had the war in Ukraine uh, disrupting supplies from that part of the world. You know, those, those factors all reduced supplies in global markets and pushed up prices. If we have a more normal crop in 2023, we'd expect to see prices come back down again. And so you mentioned that, that 532 looking ahead to the new crop 2023 corn. Look out a little farther, if you would, Dr. Westoff. Does that downward slide continue into 2025 and beyond? We do have a, a, a bit of a drop over time. Uh, in fact, dropping all the way to about $4 a bushel by the time you get out to the year 2032. That's, that's farther than any of us want to think about right now, I know. Uh, but there's lots of reasons to think that it's uh, uh, going to be probably uh, not an upward uh, trend on corn prices across time. But it does sound like that 436 potential average over that range would still be a step higher than the average we saw back in, uh, what, 2012 through 2021, wouldn't it? That's right. So that, that'd be a little bit above the average we had before the five years uh, prior to the crop we harvested last year, uh, as we see for some other crops as well. Certainly makes sense. Of this time of year, we're watching that Brazilian soybean crop come onto the market, maybe alleviating some of the concerns of a tight crop in 2023. Let's talk about soybean prices. Dr. Westhoff, where do you see beans going here in this marketing season? 
So this year, of course, uh, in the, the crop we harvested last year, we've seen some strong prices recently, in part because of, of uh, the, the short crop in, in Argentina this, uh, this year, smaller than anticipated. But for the crop we harvest in 2023, we'd expect to see lower prices, an average of about 12.17 a bushel is our projection. And then again, that ongoing slide as you look out longer term? That's right. So our average over the next decades, uh, just a shy, a little bit under $11 a bushel. That is still a bit higher than we were uh, between 2017 and 2021, but obviously far off the, the levels we've gotten used to over the last year or two. Yes, that is true. It, it is uh, it is a big drop from what we're looking at in the board today, but I want to turn the focus to a couple of other crops that, that are uh, hotly discussed right now, wheat acreage in particular. We've seen wheat acres continue to drop across this country. Is there going to be incentive for growers to get back into the wheat business over the next 10 years here, uh, Dr. Westhoff? Well, in the near term, yes. I mean, we, are, we do see an uptake in winter wheat acres, obviously, for the for the crop we'll harvest in 2023, uh, based on USDA's report and our own projections as well. So that should be able to result in some reduction, resumption of meat wheat supplies this year. Uh, provided we're able to get a decent crop in spite of the weather concerns we've had. Uh, looking ahead, we do expect the wheat acres to, to probably resume a bit of a downward trend, but not terribly dramatic. So just a slight uh, drop off from the 2023 level as we go uh, forward in time. And you mentioned that's if we get a decent crop. That's true in all these commodities that we've gotten. Getting that decent crop a lot of times depends on what we put into that crop in order to get it to grow. Production expenses, they've been skyrocketing for the past three years. Is there hope out there for growers to see those maybe take a step back? We have seen input prices for fertilizer, for fuel, and a number of other inputs uh, come off their peaks of last year uh, in recent months. We do think that for the crop that was planted in 2023, it'll be about the same overall uh, production expenses as for the crop planted in 2022. As we look forward, though, uh, we do expect to see further reductions in fertilizer prices as long as we don't have some new disruption in our national energy markets. So as long as we don't have a new disruption, that is a, a pretty big wish list right there, given the last couple of years. Dr. Westhoff, we're in a farm bill year. We are talking spending on agriculture. What do you expect to see? And I know we're where it's under discussion as of now, but what's the sense of expenditures from the government in agriculture here over the next decade? So, you know, we had four years of very high expenditures on farm-related programs because of special things like the market facilitation program and the coronavirus food assistance program. Those programs have now run their course, and we expect to see much more, low, much lower levels of spending in fiscal years 2024 and 2025. Uh, we won't have much spending under the agricultural risk coverage program under the, or the price loss coverage program in the next couple of years. However, once we get past those couple of years with lower prices projected, and with uh, the special clauses that make a future level support tied to moving averages of market prices, we could see a, a resumed uptick in, in federal support from those basic commodity programs in, in crop years 2026 and 2027. Sure. With prices down, that's when that spending goes up if the programs are working. Dr. Westhoff, before we let you go, we've been talking a lot about grains and oil seeds here, but you also covered livestock in the report. Can you give us the general sense for proteins, livestock, dairy, bullish picture, or is it starting to slow down? It's a bit of both. So on the uh, the uh, side of, of dairy, on the side of uh, poultry, and on pork, we do expect to see lower prices in 2023. Uh, obviously, we had the uh, avian influenza was a huge disruptor for poultry markets last year, assuming we're able to get them more or less under control. We don't expect it to go away, but at least not as severe an issue on the market as it was last year. We should see lower egg prices and lower prices for uh, all the major poultry uh, items. The exception to this rule, of course, is cattle. With um, uh, reduced cattle numbers out there, there's, fewer, there's less beef going being produced, and that, that lower level production should result in higher prices, provided we don't have uh, some major disruption in demand. Absolutely. Folks, we're talking with Dr. Pat Westhoff of the University of Missouri's uh, FAPRI. And Dr. Westhoff, for folks who want to read this report, where can they go for more information? Sure. Go to our website. That's uh, FAPRI, F-A-P-R-I. Missouri.edu, and uh, you'll, you'll find a link to the report there and also some supporting materials that give you detailed spreadsheets with lots of numbers in them. Absolutely. Ton of information there, folks. Check that out. Our thanks to Dr. Westhoff at FAPRI. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for the opportunity today. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA right here when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, 
powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind, a look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially, that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy, think biomass think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the Market Development Action Team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the monthly grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Freedom follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you were watching the news over the weekend, you might have heard a lot of conversations again about supply chains and logistics. Late last week on Thursday, the West Coast ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles were shut down. For about 24 hours as dock workers went on strike. Now, they did return to the job Friday night. They reopened the ports and got goods back out. At the end of the day, it was only about a 24-hour shutdown, and it was announced in advance. The idea being the dock workers who have been engaged in a port negotiation, a new contract negotiation, rather, since last summer, wanted to show the importance of their work on the port. So they shut it down, and that has reopened the concern about supply chains across the country. Following the uh, the strike there in California on Thursday, the Agricultural Transportation Coalition put together a release. This is a group of many large uh, inputs providers, ag industry suppliers. They all got together and they said, listen, the marine terminals, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach have been idle for more than nine months since the expiration of the contract between workers and the terminals that has caused significant disruptions to ag exporters. Back in March, the Ag Transportation Coalition Executive Director Peter Friedman warned that the lack of a contract between the workers and the ports could be, quote, dangerous and permanent. Those issues are back in the news. Those workers are back and those discussions about a new contract are back in the fore. We'll see whether or not those two parties can come to an agreement. There has been a push, including from a number of agricultural shippers, to get the White House involved on resolving this labor dispute. Well, the White House was active last week. On Thursday, again, heading into Good Friday, President Joe Biden did go ahead and issue a veto of the waters of the U.S. Uh, v- vote of disapproval, which was passed in both the House and the Senate in Congress about the Biden administration's most recent waters of the U.S. rule. Re- uh, legislators from both parties voted to issue, uh, basically call back that rule. They said this is over and above EPA's discretion. It's over and above what we think the the country is ready for. We disapprove of this waters of the U.S. rule. That put the ball in President Joe Biden's court. He could either follow the, the wishes of Congress and repeal or revoke the rule that he issued back in December, or he could follow the path that he took, which was to veto the Congress folks' concerns about this bill and to keep that Biden rule in effect for now, just a reminder, as we talk a lot about waters of the U.S., all of these conversations could be moot, could be, is the emphasis there, because the Supreme Court is working on Sackett versus the EPA. This is the Supreme Court challenge that could provide some certainty on the writing of waters of the U.S. That piece of love of excuse me, that verdict is expected to come from the Supreme Court here any week now that we're in April. These verdicts come out on Monday. We're watching for both the Sackett decision on waters of the U.S. We're also watching the Supreme Court to release their Proposition 12 verdict, the rule in California that allows only meat sold in conditions that the state approves of. That is also being challenged at SCOTUS, and we'll see here potentially this month into May how they've ruled on both of those issues. One chief concern among folks around the world has been food prices. Since COVID saw the food inflation start to push higher, well, there's good news from the United Nations out earlier today. The World Food Price Index fell for the month of March, and importantly, that's the 12th consecutive month that food prices have been declining. We are now seeing this index down 20.5% from the record high it hit just a year ago after Russia invaded Ukraine and through all those global grain trading supply chains out of order. And that out of order may stay in place for some time on these global supply chains, particularly when it comes to wheat, because Russia 
over the weekend came out and they said, look, we may not be willing to sign back on to this new grain export corridor, the Black Sea grain deal that we have uh, spent a lot of time discussing the importance of the wheat to the wheat industry of this deal. Russia has said they want to approve exports out of the Black Sea region for 60 days. Ukraine has said they want 120 days. Now Russia came out on Friday and said that, listen, unless you take off the restrictions on other grain and fertilizer exports, then we're not going to play. We will be backing out of this grain deal. Now, as a reminder, this is an attempt by the UN, this grain deal, to ease the food crisis that was precipitated when Russia invaded Ukraine and exports were shut off from Russia. All of these countries around the world who had been relying on food supplies from the Black Sea said, hey, you're going to kill our people. We got to be able to get this food. That was the core, the, the idea behind the Black Sea grain deal. Um, and it continues to find frustration and struggle in Europe because as this deal was approved, much of the grain that has been trapped in the Black Sea region has been finding overland ways to move out of Ukraine and the Russian Federation. And what it's doing is it's being put on trucks, it's being put on trains, and it's being railed into the nearest EU country that's willing to take it, particularly from Ukraine. Well, those European countries are now finding that taking in lots of this Ukrainian grain from a war zone where prices are cheaper is pushing down overall prices in their country. Last week, we saw the agricultural minister of Poland resign because the EU wouldn't take seriously the Polish farmer complaints about this influx of grain from Ukraine. And this week, we're seeing Romanian farmers begin to protest. They are taking their tractors and they are literally blocking the border with Ukraine in order to prevent grain from moving into Ukraine, or excuse me, Romania, and pushing those Romanian grain prices down further. That challenge is developing. We'll see how these farmers continue to deal with this influx of Ukrainian grain over the coming weeks, but Europe has a lot of other issues on its mind, not least of which is bird flu. We've talked about the impact of highly pathogenic avian influenza on American poultry producers. We've lost about 60 million birds in this country. France has also been struggling with an HPAI outbreak, and early this week it was announced they are looking to secure 80 million do uh, doses of bird flu vaccines. France would be the first member of the European Union to start a bird flu vaccination campaign. We'll see how the French make this uh, work over in that country, and we'll see if it has any effect slowing the spread of HPAI. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Tomorrow, we'll be back with more coverage of the issues that are moving in the world of agriculture. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a safe day today. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest-priced fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.